Hello, Marvelites. You're listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 535. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine Singh. Oh, she's gone, everybody. She exploded <laughs> in a ball of fire. No, I'm back. I'm, uh, I'm invincible. You guys, it's weird. It's the morning here. <laughs> Anything could happen. <laughs> Anything could and would happen. Catherine knows like the limbo dance, but she doesn't understand how to fully like do the limbo. So she'll like take one of our lightsabers because, you know, we're a normal Obviously. American family. We have multiple mm-hmm. lightsabers lying around the house. She'll like take the lightsaber and say, daddy, limbo, limbo. And then she'll just like kind of walk into it. And it's great. <laughs> I have to say, one, I assume you have a lot of lightsabers, and I assume also that most of them are Elizabeth, your wife's. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about all things happening this week in Marvel, from games, comics, movies, TV, whatever we are excited about. And look, every week at Marvel, there's always something to get excited about. What's up this week, Lorraine? Well, this week our interview is with Marvel's Wastelanders Black Widow writer Alex Delisle. She'll be on later in the episode. She worked on Fear the Walking Dead, so she has a lot of really cool insight into writing about dystopia. (laughs) Yes. She also has a young child, so Mm -hmm. like writing and working from home at this time in your life with a small child around, I get it. I I, I vibe with it. And she's doing some cool stuff, especially in Marvel's Wastelanders Black Widow, so going to be fun. But we got even more this week in Marvel. What's coming up, Ryan? There's a couple things that we're very excited about that people are very excited about. One of those is a little guy called Moon Knight. Oh, yeah. We're going to be talking about him more later on in the show. And probably about a year ago now, or maybe even more, you and I, Ryan, we worked on a video for Marvel.com called You Don't Know Moon Knight, Mm -hmm. explaining the whole backstory of Moon Knight and his illustrious career of kicking many butts. And I highly recommend checking it out. Yeah, we got to read uh, a whole bunch of great Moon Knight comics and put that together. So it's a lot of fun. Here, have a little listen. You don't know Moon Knight? We'll get your finest white suit and let's dive into one of Marvel's most unpredictable heroes to moon over. A mercenary turned cape vigilante, Mark Spector was enlisted by the Egyptian god Khonshu to deliver the god's vengeance. In addition to these external struggles, he also internally battles with mental issues. But back to Moon Knight's origins. Jewish-born Mark Spector was a mercenary with years of military experience who began running dastardly jobs with the terrifying merc Bushman up in Egypt. Spectre eventually turned on the murderous madman after Bushman attempted to kill two innocent archaeologists, Marlene Arlani and her father. Marlene survived, but her father did not, and Spectre was left for dead in the scorching desert heat. Spectre made his way to an Egyptian tomb only to die and then be reborn at the feet of a statue of the moon god Khonshu, known as the Taker of Vengeance. Definitely go check out the full video so you can see all the beautiful art over on the Marvel YouTube channel. The title of the video is Who is Moon Knight? And there was also some big news on the publishing side this week because we ended the Daredevil comic book series last year. We canceled it. It was over. No more. No, that wasn't it at all. They were <laughs> the, the Daredevil title ended to give way to put out the Devil's Reign big event series that is written by Chip Zdarsky and had art by Marco Cacchetto. And so that's been going on since December. And now they're wrapping that up with a Devil's Reign Omega issue coming this spring. Real quick, anybody who doesn't know, Devil's Reign is all about Kingpin realizing that he at one point 
had the information of who Daredevil really was, and that information is now gone from his head. He can't remember it, and he just gets real angry. And so basically, as mayor of New York City, he shuts down all the superheroes. So it's about New York sort of clamping down, and then the heroes fighting back, and Daredevil right in the middle of everything. There's an issue coming out real soon where the last page will maybe go, oh boy. So get ready for that. <laughs> but the Omega issue is going to wrap all that up, which will lead into a big brand new Daredevil Number one coming in June by Chip Zdarsky and Marco Caquetto. And it's actually the two of them. They've been working on Daredevil for four years now, which is really, really cool on and off doing some really incredible work. It's going to pick up after where Devil's Reign left off. We can't talk about any of the like the endgame spoiler stuff because those comics haven't come out yet. And I don't want to break anybody's brains. But there's a new Daredevil title. We'll see what's going on when that comes out in June. Yeah. But before that, we will have Free Comic Book Mm -hmm. Day, May 7th. And around that weekend every year, we do Free Comic Book Day. You can definitely go check out your participating retailers in your area and go get those free sweet baby comics. This year, we're going to have Spider-Man Venom number one, newly announced, written by Zeb Wells, Al Ewing, and Rom V with art by John Romita Jr. and Brian Hitch. Man, I love that we're getting John Romita Jr. back on Spider-Man. It's just the coolest. But, you know, this is going to be a big one because we've been talking about it all since 2022 kicked off all three or so weeks of it. (laughs) But this is Spider-Man's 60th anniversary, 2022. Of course, he was created in 1962. That's how math works. But, you know, this is a really big, exciting year for Spider-Man. There's going to be some really cool and exciting stuff happening within his storylines, including Tombstone coming back into Spidey's life. So definitely go check it out May 7th, wherever you may get your comic book make sure that they are participating in Free Comic Book Day. Yeah, there's also the Free Comic Book Day issue for Marvel's Voices, number one. It's going to include seven Marvel's Voices stories, spotlighting all kinds of different creators and characters from different cultures, communities, and identities. So that's really cool. And we're going to get a brand new story featuring Moon Girl by writer Nadia Shamas and artist Luciano Vecchio, which is going to be very cool. We had Luciano on Marvel's Pull List last year. Just the best. A ding-dang delight. There's two things I want to add to all this Free Comic Book Day stuff, Lorraine. One, I don't know if everybody understands this. Free Comic Book Day is great, and the free comics are free for everybody who goes and picks them up. But they're not free for the stores. So the stores actually pay an amount for these books. It's like a promotional tool. So I will ask for everybody who goes to your local comic book shop for Free Comic Book Day buy something, buy a trade paperback, buy a graphic novel, buy an action figure, buy a board game, buy something cool when you go and pick up all those amazing free comic books because it helps out the store in tons and tons of ways. I will probably repeat this same thing over and over again as we get closer to May 7th, but um, free comic book day is a huge fun day, but it's also a lot of work and really important for your local comic book shop. So please support them as much as you can. And then I was thinking about the date. So free comic book day and usually a Marvel Studios film release Mm -hmm. on that first weekend of May. And Marvel Studios' Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness is also right that weekend. It's that weekend. So that's a big fun time. But on a personal note, my wife's birthday is May 5th. And so every year... 
when we try to celebrate, it's like, oh, there's a movie thing going on. There's free comic book day thing going on. Do you have anything that's similar to that? That's like an important day that also falls on like a holiday? Yes. The WWE WrestleMania falls on my birthday weekend. Yep. So Ryan will never hang out with me. <laughs> Look, if I have to go to WrestleMania, what can I do? The winds take me to where I have to go. I understand priorities. Absolutely. But you know, Secret Invasion is blowing up. A lot of people are talking about that story. And I know that you had Tom Brevoort on a while back on Marvel's pull list to talk about Secret Invasion. Yeah, yeah. We had Tom Brevoort, executive editor and senior vice president and like lord of all things Marvel. <laughs> I love talking to him. We had him on the show a while ago to do a reading club around Secret Invasion. It's really cool. And even now, the current Spider-Woman comic is dealing with ramifications and fallout from Secret Invasion. So that comic is really, really special, something that it was like two years into my time at Marvel. So I really got to see it come to life and become this big event. So it's a very special series to me as well. So with people talking about Secret Invasion, getting excited about it, wouldn't it be fun, Lorraine, to talk to our pal Tom? <gasps> Always. His brain is so crazy. Like, I've asked him questions and he's like, oh, yeah, I think that's on like page six of this issue. How? <laughs> Let me dial up the twin phone. Beep, boop, 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 ring, ring, ring. Tom Brevoort's phone. Ring, ring, ring. Hello. Hi, Tom. <laughs> it's Lorraine and Ryan from This Week in Marvel and also the Marvel offices. Remember that? <laughs> I don't I don't remember that. Was that a thing? It's been 42 years. <laughs> Tom, we are excited and talking about Secret Invasion. We are coming close to celebrating its 14th anniversary soon this year. And, <laughs> and you know the major milestone that everyone major counts. Yep. Yeah, yeah. As editor on the project, we wanted to grab you for a couple minutes, ask you some some fun questions about it, and direct people to go check out the collection or read it on Marvel Unlimited. But, I mean, first things first, how did Secret Invasion come about? Who, who first came up with the idea, and do you remember when? Well, the idea for Secret Invasion was really Brian, Brian Bendis's. Brian was writing Avengers, and by this point, there were two Avengers books. New Avengers had launched, and then coming out of Civil War, we also had Mighty Avengers that more or less corresponded to being Iron Man's crew and Cap's crew, even though Cap was dead for this period. <laughs> but Brian had sort of been setting the seeds for Secret Invasion for some time, and he, he did so without really telling anybody that he was doing it, myself included. So <laughs> you know, despite the fact that I was editing the, the book, I didn't necessarily know as he started to lay all of this stuff down. But, you know, it was the you know first bunch of retreats after Civil War. And Brian was building towards this scroll story, the secret invasion story. And we were going to do another one of our many editorial retreats, editorial summits. Uh, and he and I talked beforehand. And he said to me, I'm planning this thing out, but I really, I, I really think it should just be an Avengers story. Like it should just be in those books. It shouldn't be a line-wide thing or, or or be huge or anything like that. We have to keep this controlled. And so, you know, he said, you got to back me up on this. And I said, no problem, Brian. I will absolutely do that. And so we got into the to the meeting and Brian started walking through all these plans. And at a certain point, Dan Buckley said, well, that's clearly our big event for this year. And he turned to me and I immediately said, 
Yeah, I guess that's our big event for this year. (laughs) (laughs) He shouldn't have trusted me after not trusting me. True scroll (laughs) behavior. Could you talk us through, for anyone who hasn't gotten a chance to read the story, can you talk us through sort of the major beats of the story? And obviously don't spoil the ending because we all are going to send people over to read it later. I'll try to. I mean, the the uh, the, the inciting incidents all kind of happen even before Secret Invasion in the main begins, which is that, uh, you know, we learn that characters who've been in the book and, and possibly a lot of books for a long while, a considerable while, are actually scroll imposters. And so the question then becomes, who's a scroll? Who isn't a scroll? How long have they, they been here? Are they among us? What are they doing? What are they planning? Where are they going? And so heading into Secret Invasion number one, you know, a bunch of characters are now aware as of the last uh, Avengers storylines that were done right before this, that there are secret scroll infiltrators on Earth and in the superhero teams and so forth. And so the big brains of the Marvel Universe, Reed Richards and Tony Stark and Hank Pym and so forth, all get together to try to figure out what's going on and how they can possibly figure out who might really be a scroll and and get to the bottom of this. In addition to that, Brian did a lot of work in the sort of building up the culture and mythology of the, the scrolls as a as a people that up to that point they'd been in a lot of stories and we'd seen the planets that they lived on and a little bit about them but in uh, in Brian's story the scroll invasion of earth is a move taken from religious doctrine that there are prophecies in the writings of a particular scroll religion that indicate that there'll be a promised land and it will be the earth and and they'll come here and take over everything and it'll be swell And so that was sort of the secondary tier of what was going on in Secret Invasion. That On the the one hand, it's a paranoid conspiracy thriller, and any of your favorite Marvel heroes or villains might not be who you've been reading about for months or years. On the second level, there was an aspect of the story that was about, you know, religious fundamentalism and uh, that sort of thought process being taken too far and uh, being used uh, for ill. You know, you're talking about which characters and all that stuff. And you talk about the Marvel Comics creative retreats where a lot of these stories are sort of hammered out in in early days. I remember at least one of the retreats where there's just the room would go around and suggest a character who might be a Skrull. Do you have any characters you wish were Skrulls out of all this? I don't know that I have any that I wish were Skrulls. I, I prevented a few from becoming Skrulls. And I prevented a few from becoming scrolls where people wanted them to. You know, I know there was a big push at a certain point to go, oh, Hank Pym's been a scroll since before that old Avengers issue where he hit Jan and that's the way we'll get him back. And I kind of went, no, that's 30 or 40 years worth of comics. We can't do that. You know, people will still be upset about Hank doing that, you know, regardless of whether or not we say, well, it was a scroll now. So Hank, spoilers, turned out to be a scroll in Secret Invasion but it didn't date back that far. But yeah, literally anybody that you could have thought of who might have been a scroll was suggested at one point or another to be a scroll. And in most instances, we sort of let the people who were writing individual books that were going to tie in pick their scroll shots if there were if there were players there. 
that they wanted to reveal, people who had been in their in their casts or in their titles that they wanted to unmask as Skrull infiltrators. Pretty much Brian handpicked all the, the folks that were at the, at the center of this because he set them up and used them in Avengers. Um, and in fact, in his mind, you know, he'd been writing certain characters as Skrulls for months, even though he was kind of the only one who, who knew that. Now, looking back at this, obviously at this tremendous marker point of 14 years, <laughs> how has this story impacted Marvel Comics, Marvel Universe, how you create these big events? What impact has it had? Well, um, I mean, the biggest impact it had was over the course of the next couple of years within the Marvel publishing, because the ending of Secret Invasion took us directly into Dark Reign, and Dark Reign ran not as an event, but as a as a state of the Marvel Universe for mm -hmm. another 18 months to two years. And so that impacted on all of those books going forward. You know, in, in a long distance uh, way, I, I think it's a fairly definitive story for the Skrulls. Most readers who know Skrulls these days tend to relate to them to the way they were depicted here as an event. And this is something that Brian and I talked about on a number of occasions because we found this to be completely true, that while Secret Invasion was coming out, there were a lot of fans who, big surprise, didn't love it or who were afraid by it or who thought we were going to do awful things or reveal that Hank Pym had been a Skrull since 1980 or, or whatever things that they were concerned about. And once the story was finished, once it was released on Marvel Unlimited, and once it was collected in a trade paperback, it got sort of a second life and a second review from people who, one, would come to it complete, and also from people who maybe lived through it all and got to the end of the ride and went, phew, I didn't die. Hey, you know, that was a better ride than I thought it was going to be when I thought it was going to crash into something. So I think it's it's held up pretty well. Certainly, you know, Lanil Yu did terrific work all the way through it. Uh, and as uh, as the artist and was called upon in a lot of places to draw just ridiculous armies worth of characters <laughs> in the, in the savage land uh and elsewhere and certainly rose to that occasion so i think it looks good and i think it still reads well and it's been one of those volumes that has kind of been sort of a perennial seller you know not with the same sort of attention that maybe a civil war or an infinity gauntlet has gotten in recent years as there have been, you know, film versions of those books. But even without that, it's it's one of those books that as as people come to Marvel Unlimited or start to to read like the big key Marvel storylines, that it still occupies a, a certain place, both because it's kind of the culmination of those first few years of, of New Avengers and because it's the it's the launch point for for Dark Reign. And so if you're gonna read through any of that that era, it's it's very central to what was going on. I'm looking at the reading list on Marvel Unlimited right now. So if, if somebody out there has time, we list 98 comics that you can read in the complete Secret Invasion reading list, not even including the extra five after the invasion uh, books. But there's a lot of fun stuff to comb through. Or or you could just or you could just read Secret Invasion one through eight. We did write it. So you only really need to read the eight. There are, I mean, you know, 90 other comics that you can read if you really want to have the full 100% total thorough Secret Invasion experience. But 
you know, if you're a little a little shorter on time or your attention span isn't so good, you really could just read Secret Invasion one through eight and and it'd still be a party. I suppose. Tom, always a pleasure. Thanks so much. Keep making some amazing comics. Thank you. Happy to be coming back. Click. Anytime we get to bring in Tom, it makes me really, really happy. And so we mentioned the episode of Marvel's Pull List that uh, we originally did for this one. If everybody wants to go check that out, that is from episode number 102 of Marvel's Pull List all the way back April 28th of 2020. You can go check that out in the feed. Go subscribe to the show. It's really, really a ton of fun. We had Tom Brevard on. We also had writer Teeny Howard on because she is... Like us, just a big honking fan of that time period of Marvel Comics. There's a follow-up to that that goes into Dark Reign, which I'm sure you'll want to check out too. But um, yeah, if you're excited about Secret Invasion, read the comics on Marvel Unlimited, listen to these podcasts, and just geek out. Yeah, if you're not listening to Marvel's pull list along with This Week in Marvel, you're missing all the comics. What are you doing? Even this week on Marvel's pull list, we have writer Benjamin Percy and artist Joshua Kassara on to talk about X-Force and 10 Lives of Wolverine, which is very good timing because 10 Lives of Wolverine number one just came out. We get into some spoilery stuff. We talk about those books. It's really a super fun conversation with them. Also, this week, man, some really great books came out. We have Black Panther number three has a rad new character, which I think is going to be a big deal for all the Black Panther stuff coming up. Two Spidey books that are really good and X Deaths of Wolverine, which If you are a fan of all the things that have been going on over the last two years in X-Men comics, this is like important reading. It's really, really good. And for the future of Marvel's pull list, we're going to have some fun people coming on. One, I might say, is the funnest. Uh, It's me. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, guys, I'm going to be on Marvel's pull list. Look out for it around February 16th. Yeah. Just in time for the day of love. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah, we're going to have some really fun guest co-hosts coming on, including Lorraine, which means I get to make Lorraine do a ton more work of reading comic books. (laughs) (laughs) There's so many comic books that week, too, Lorraine. I mean, is it really work, though? But please go subscribe to Marvel's Pull List wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, yeah, hear us talk about Marvel Comics. We also got some great stuff from Marvel Games this week. Marvel Contest of Champions is bringing a dino to life like never before (laughs) with the mighty Sauron. Sauron has joined Marvel Contest of Champions. You can add him to your roster now. Go check him out as he continues to. (laughs) So I love Sauron. He's one of my favorite weirdo Marvel characters. He's a giant lizard dinosaur man thing Mm -hmm. who has hypnotizing powers and has been a foe of the X-Men for many years. But like, do you ever have characters who you in your mind have a very specific like voice for that? Like you've never heard. (laughs) Oh, for sure. Like Sauron is like, it's me, the mighty Sauron. That's a hundred percent what his voice is. One of my favorite comics. I was just thinking about it the other day and I was like, I wish I could remember what the issue number is where they were like, why don't you stop doing this and like use science to help people? He's like, no, I want to make more dinosaurs. I know what you're talking about. It's so good. It's so funny. Yeah. You know what? Priorities. 
Yeah, have priorities. Priorities should also include playing Marvel Puzzle Quest because newly arrived in the game Marvel Puzzle Quest is Agent Melinda May. Hell yeah, she's a master martial artist, marked woman, and spy. You know her as an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. She is currently appearing in the comic book called The Marvels, and now you can check her out in Marvel Puzzle Quest. Also rounding out Marvel games, Fortnite continues to have cool Marvel stuff. And this guy is not going to rest until he's destroyed Spider-Man. You know the one. The Green Goblin has followed Spider-Man to Fortnite Island. And you can get the Green Goblin outfit and more Green Goblin set items in the Fortnite item shop. Definitely go check it out. I love all the Marvel stuff that uh, has been coming into Fortnite. Catherine knows Green Goblin from Spidey and His Amazing Friends cartoon. Mm -hmm. But she pronounces it Green Goblin. Sometimes Green Goblin is a good guy and sometimes Green Goblin is naughty to her. And so uh-huh. it's really wonderful. Oh, you know, something really cool this week is the Marvel Trivia Crack Challenge. So this is happening over on Instagram. It's a whole big thing. There are over 300 questions. It utilizes augmented reality technology. It comes from Edermax, the uh, tech company that has created Trivia Crack and Word Crack. Um, But they're teaming up with us at Marvel Entertainment to present a free-to-use trivia experience over on the gram. And so you can go (laughs) and uh, you can access the free-to-use filter in Marvel's Instagram profile. And then you just start recording yourselves. You spin the wheel till you get your randomly selected category. The question will pop up above your heads with two possible answers. And then you choose between moving your head right or left. The challenge will move on until you fail to answer. And when the experience finishes, showing your score. Then you're able to share your recordings on Instagram stories and show your followers how you did and see how much of a Marvel Universe expert you really are. We got to get in on this action, Lorraine. I know. We we really do got to get it together. Also, my husband has worked with Trivia Crack. Fun fact about Lorraine, her husband works on game shows a lot. <laughs> That's awesome. Go your husband. We also have to talk to y'all about Marvel's Wastelanders Black Widow because Chapter 4, by the way is now available the, the 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 episode's name is by the way not just i'm not just saying by the way as you know just part of my chitty chatness then you know what let's just play you a little clip from the episode welcome stanley petronella and helen black you are due for a board approved rendezvous with crispin burge and samantha sugarman on the 160th floor at heirloom the decadome's premier nightlife destination in six minutes. Shall I take you there? Hold on a second, Kimmy. Holding for 15 seconds. You sure you still want to come? I'm dead serious, Helen. I don't want to force you into this. It's dangerous what I do. It has to feel right for you. Because I'm falling for you, Helen. Big time. Five more seconds. What about it? You ready to walk on the wild side with me? With you? I'm ready. You just heard the voices of Susan Sarandon as Black Widow, Michael Imperioli as Stanley Petronella, and Melissa Gilbert as Kim. Listen to the first four episodes now exclusively on the SXM app and Marvel Podcasts Unlimited on Apple Podcasts. And episodes will be widely available one week later on Pandora, Stitcher, and all other major podcast platforms in the U.S. You can learn more at marvel.com slash wastelanders or, or you could just wait a minute, calm down, wait a minute, because we're about to talk to Marvel's Wastelanders Black Widow writer, Alex Delisle. 
we talked a little bit about the difference between writing podcasts and television or film, a lot about the story and building the world that this story takes place in, some really just great insight on how the entire shebang was created. Yeah, let's listen. This week, we have a very special guest joining us from Marvel's Wastelanders, Black Widow writer Alex Delisle. Hey, Alex, how you doing? I'm great. How are you? We are even better now that we are joined by you and all your Black uh. Widow secrets. <laughs> all of them. We want all of them. But before we even get to that, what is your Marvel origin story? How did you first get connected or, or aware of the Marvel characters and stories? What was it for you? Well, it goes all the way back to being like a 10-ish year old little girl, little tomboy in New Jersey, which is where I'm from, and always being a little bit of a sci-fi nerd, a little, you know, Star Wars, all that, and then finding my way into a comic shop, which is actually still there, last I checked, in New Jersey, called Ricky's, and just immediately like seeing the X-Men and being like, what is this? Like, (laughs) this is so cool. I got to get in here. Started with just the whole gang and then especially got really into like storm the women of the x-men are pretty awesome and from there just like stayed a fan ever since i'm a someone with a film background so once the movie started coming out you know it's pretty easy to like really fall into that too so less comics now more into the movies but still like started at that place of flipping through the stacks and really falling in love with the characters and the art and the storytelling well that really sets us up nicely because You know, something interesting about the podcast is it's not the normal 616 Marvel Universe. It's sort of a more dystopian (laughs) future universe. (laughs) But how do you sort of get into the mindset for writing for Black Widow when she's out of the 616 and she's in sort of a different timeline? Yeah, well, honestly, once, you know, when I heard about the project and was asked to join, I was so excited to learn that the character that I would be writing for was Black Widow, because just thinking about the old man Logan universe and how obviously age and the span of time is such an important theme in that story, could not think of a better character to sort of place in that world than Black Widow. Really, like, yeah, in love with the Black Widow, always thought she was just such a great fit for this world and really leaning into the fact that time has passed. She's aging now. Things are just different for her in terms of her feminine wiles, but leaning into that fact and using it to our advantage. We're going to get into a little bit more of the story and stuff, but you mentioned reading into the comics and then getting into the movies and being a writer, having that writerly brain that just never turns off. I imagine always thinking of stories. I know Lorraine and I and my wife, who's a writer, like, constantly thinking of stories when you see stuff with black widow do you have those wheels start to turn because she's just an awesome character or you had some affection for her or was it just like you just sat back and went ah the old characters are back it feels good to enjoy them (laughs) yeah i mean when you hear the phrase black widow and in the old man logan universe there's just so much territory to explore there you know it was very kismet feeling in terms of coming up with the idea and figuring out what the story would be here and knowing her place in Logan's life and Hawkeye's life obviously there's a lot of like backstory there and even though the story that we tell in Wastelanders is really her story and there's a lot of new characters that I created with the team at Marvel just remembering these really long relationships that she has I mean obviously a lot of time has passed in this futuristic world but there's just so much to think about in terms of 
what would be her baggage in this world? What would be sort of gnawing at her? What would have happened with her and Tony? There's just so much to sort of think about in terms of the backstory. And so then when you start, there's just so much sort of context that comes in. And that's what's so great as a writer about coming into the Marvel Universe is that you have all this rich history. I mean, you know, I was already a fan of the world, but when I got the assignment, I went and bought the big dictionary, you know, the big sort of like Marvel encyclopedia and just had so much fun pulling through it and finding little details that we could pull into the story. And it really is like the ultimate, sounds kind of corny, but artist palette to play with because there's just like an endless amount of story and you can really mold things to sort of fit what you want. You know, there was a point where I was like looking for, I needed like a weapons company, small little plot device. And of course I had like 10, 15 to choose from just in (laughs) old man Logan universe. So it was very cool to be able to play with all that context. Well, you're starting to dip your toe a little bit into the story and what's going on, where we are, but let's hear it. Where do we meet the characters at the beginning of Marvel's Wastelanders Black Widow. So in the first episode, we open with a character named Helen Black. It feels like she's sort of going to be hanging her hat at this large building, which is called the Onar. And the Onar is, we'll come to learn, is this sort of futuristic biosphere habitation where thousands, probably tens, hundreds of thousands of people live because the outside world has become so inhospitable. You know, we wanted to make the story sort of feel real and feel relevant to our world. And so climate change, you know, has become more of an issue. She's having to escape like extreme heat and, you know, rising tides and that apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic feeling of the old man Logan universe. And so she walks into this apartment and, you know, immediately is greeted by this sort of synthetic voice. Um, She's called Kim, K-I-M, which stands for Kinetic Information Manager, or Mitigator, sorry, Mitigator. And she's, you get the sense, of course, that something sort of shady is going on. Why is she here? You know, she's already spinning yarns to anyone who asks her why she's there. And sure enough, you learn you know, in the first 10 minutes that she's there to find someone. She's there to like conduct some mission. And she comes across this character named Lisa Cartwright, who has just started her first day. They're sort of both on their first day. She started her first day at this company called Panopticog Solutions, which is a surveillance company. It's sort of the building's in-house surveillance company that it's always questionable, like, do the residents know? Do they not know? But Lisa is their sort of with mixed feelings. You know, she doesn't love this job. She's there for the money. And she, of course, on her first day, discovers that this woman, Helen Black, is living in the building and probably up to something. So their paths collide very early. And from there, it really becomes about sort of cat and mouse game, really. Like cat and mouse who end up, (laughs) unfortunately, having to work together to sort of help her with Helen Black's mission. You mentioned the Onar, which it sounds so cool. And I would love if you could tell us a little bit more about that, especially that like world building that provides such a rich tapestry for you to play around with and build with and build within the old man Logan universe. Yeah, it's a very fun device because obviously like in audio, you're limited to what people hear. And so the idea of surveillance and listening in just was really a natural fit, especially given the Black Widow's background, you know, coming from Russia, being a spy, being very involved in espionage, just was this perfect match where we were able to really sell, you know, a surveillance story that 
made a lot of sense in terms of who the Black Widow character is, but then also like use that to our advantage in terms of telling the story and sort of popping in and out of worlds. But the Onar itself is very much pulled from a lot of different kinds of science fiction. When you think about like apocalyptic futures, like how will people live, whether it's Elysium or people having to escape the natural elements and sort of pool together in places, whether or not they like it, just because that's the way you sort of survive. And then, of course, like the overlords, right, the companies sort of coming in and finding a way to like make that really restrictive. And so in the show, there's lots of hints about, you know, what we think about that kind of control. Is that good? Is that bad? How does that feel for the characters? And it's a constant source of of drama, of tension between the people that live in the building and the people that are sort of listening to them and spying on them and accusing them of crimes. (laughs) I mean, it really is such an interesting setting. You know, it's a a new piece to this sort of dystopia that's already been built. And, you know, an interesting component of this is that these podcasts, the Wastelander podcasts, are separate, but they're also somewhat intertwined. How do you work around that? And what kind of freedoms does it give you? But also, are there any interesting walls that you come up against? Yeah, it was, you know, obviously I had listened to everything that had come before and was really impressed with just how contained the story was. Like, even though we're sort of building this bigger story, like there really was in Quill, you know, this just sort of fantastic contained story. And so I was always working with my amazing producers at Marvel, Ellie Pyle. She would always sort of keep me in the loop on what was happening in the different stories. We really had a lot of freedom in terms of where we were allowed to go and always find a way to fit them together. You know, that was what was really cool is that we were always sort of compromising and coming up with solutions. The people at Marvel were really able to piece together the missing parts, fill in the gaps, and really help me, like, pull from the lore if I had a blank spot. That's awesome. You talked about the opportunities that writing for audio and, you know, having surveillance, that part of it seems really natural to tell the story. You've got a lot of experience writing for TV and other types of media. Is this the first audio only project you've done? Yes, it is. I mean, not since uh, freshman year of film school where we had to like take a class called Sound Image and use Pro Tools, which <laughs> very complicated program. But yeah, we did have to like write some kind of audio play back then. I honestly don't remember what mine was. This was really my first time like telling long form audio story. And it was a real challenge coming in. Like, how do you tell but not show without being too expository, without, you know, just having characters come in a room and describe it? And luckily, we have an absolutely incredible sound designer. Daniel Brunel is just so, 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 so talented. And I was very prescriptive. I really wrote what things should sound like and how they should sort of come together. And he just like got it and really just ran with it and created this whole other layer on top of what I'd already conceived of. So it actually really was a tremendous experience, but it is challenging. It's hard, you know, to just have two people talking to each other be interesting. And I'm really happy with the final product. It's kind of funny because it's like in film, it's like, don't tell us, just show us. It's like the literal opposite of what you're supposed to do, which is got to be like a bit of a mind, you know? (laughs) Yeah, it is. And it's funny, there's actually an episode where the title is subtext and the characters talk about subtext. And that's actually one of the many ways I made this more challenging for myself than I needed to, because so much of the story is about people lying to each other and the audience has to kind of piece together who's telling the truth and when. And so like a lot of 
the stuff that needed to be communicated was in subtext and was in like the way that the performances would come through. And so I was very prescriptive in when I would write dialogue chunks, I would put a lot of parentheticals in, in terms of exactly what a character was meaning when they actually said something else. And so that piece, it took me a while to figure out that that's what I had to do, but it, it did end up being helpful. And of course we had tremendous cast that we'll talk about, but they nailed it, needless to say. I imagine that's like a tremendous asset for an actor to have an episode that has so much subtext because when it's not written out for you, you know, that's a lot to sort of develop with your imagination without a writer there to tell you what the intent is. Yeah. Well, first of all, let me say we had a phenomenal director. Timothy Busfield is a legend. He is an actor himself. I was so impressed with the work he did with Quill. You know, once we met, I was like, oh, you get it, what I've been trying to do here. And so Tim was just a huge asset when we were actually in production. And he wanted me to be there, which was so nice. You know, in TV, sometimes the writer is in the way or, you know, it's a distraction, but he really used me and I loved it. And so it was great for me. I was there basically the whole time, which was awesome. You know, as a writer, I am someone who produces. I produce my episodes on Fear the Walking Dead. So I'm pretty used to that dynamic, you know, sort of sitting back let the director do their thing and let him answer questions with the actors. But if they needed more context, certainly I was always there to, to lend a hand. You know, we, we recorded things as you always do, we recorded things out of order. So we'd have Susan for a day, we'd record Susan and things would be, you know, be jumping from episode two to episode 10. And there was a lot to sort of fill in there. So it was great to be there and just be able to answer all the questions that come up when you have a, really complex story like like we did. Also, we should preface that Susan is Susan Sarandon, which is awesome. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. God, I, I remember getting that email from the casting director and just being like, oh my God, like squealing out loud. Huge, lifelong fan of her, you know, Rocky Horror, one of our true treasures. To say her voice is amazing would be an understatement. Like she has one of the, the greatest voices ever. And it just fit, you know, she she has that sort of sexy, detached sort of vibe that was just perfect for Widow. Couldn't have been more lucky. It was it was really incredible to get her. The whole cast was just awesome. The cast is, is incredible. You've got folks from all across entertainment, like Amber Gray. She was in Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet, which is one of my favorite musicals. You know, you've got Susan, as you mentioned, Melissa Gilbert, Michael Imperioli. Like, at what point when you're writing this, do you start getting the casting info in? Is it, have you been, you know, writing for a while or is this like before you're going, where do you start getting that information? Yeah. So I started writing for this project in May of 2020. That was when I did my first outline. And by the time we did casting, we had 10 episodes probably on our third draft by then. So the story was really baked in. And at that point in the process, we definitely had, the characters were just so well-defined because it had been a long time. And so it was really easy to slot people in because we've been living with these guys for so long. It's interesting because I keep thinking about how you mentioned, I think it was Elysium. Were there any other shows or movies or books or, you know, there are so many dystopias in the Marvel universe. There are so many in all of fiction, it seems. Were there any pieces of art that inspired you on your way? Yeah, I think that, well, I will say one film that was really inspirational and I watched a lot in this crafting of the story was this movie called The Lives of Others. I don't know if you're familiar. It's this German film from like 
maybe 10 years ago, but it's a story about the surveillance state in the 80s in Germany. And it's basically, you know, this guy is spying on this artist, this sort of Stasi want to take down. And over the course of spying for him, he ends up sort of developing this you know, affection for him, a, a sort of friendship. I won't spoil the movie, but like that connection that he has, just like listening to someone and hearing what their life is like, changes his worldview for the better. And so it's a really great film and, and it helped me sort of frame the storytelling, like from the POV of the person listening and then going into that person's life and how that like all plays together. But in terms of apocalypse, yeah, I mean... It, because I live in the Walking Dead world, I'm so used to that world where there's like monsters and everything's grimy. And so I actually wanted to try something else and think of a world where things were really functional, right? So instead of everything being broken, which certainly that's an element of the world outside of New York City, but imagine a place where things are like working so well that it's creepy, right? Alex, before we let you go, you had mentioned that you had talked with the other folks behind the other shows and, and the other pieces of audio fiction for Marvel, and there are chock-a-block full of references and cool tidbits and details and, and Easter eggs and stuff. Are there any cool Easter eggs in your show that you can at least tease or hint at that fans can start to search for as they start listening? Yes, there actually are quite a few. I will say that there because this is a spy thriller and because we're talking about the Black Widow, there are some identities that come up, some of which are really deep in the Marvel lore. You know, there's a characters where you're like, you think it's one person and you come to find what their actual sort of lineage is. So that that's fun. I'll tell you one thing that's really fun. So we had this really cool opportunity because we're living in this biosphere and obviously one of the ways that people get around the main way people get around is in an elevator right so i thought to myself wow you know when i step into an elevator in 2020 or 2021 there's now all these screens right and there's all this sort of branded content that exists and so we had this fun idea to just use that sort of space that when you walk into an elevator suddenly there's you know 10 ads are screaming at you and so in those ads, we had some fun in terms of who hosts the ads, what the ads are for, and some of them actually do connect to the story later on. So what seems like sort of banal filler is actually really important to the story later on. So I think if fans paid attention to that, they might find something pretty cool. Awesome. We'll keep our ears on the ads as we release you out into the world. Is there anything you want to say to the Marvel fans going to check out the pod and all that you do? Yeah, I mean, I'm so grateful for this opportunity. I really felt like, you know, a kid in a candy store and tried to really put on my fan hat and have some fun exploring corners of the universe that I had never been to before and also bringing in some of my my own favorites. So I hope that fans really appreciate and enjoy all the different little tidbits that got pulled into the story. And I think Widow is such a fun character and the story that she brings into this world is so fun. So I hope that fans, you know, if you're first time, you're not so familiar with the, the Widow series, like go back and check out some of the older books. They go real far back. You can, you can go back to the 60s and sort of hang out with Natasha and have a really good time. And so I do hope that if people are coming to the series and meeting her for the first time that they go explore because there's a lot of fun stuff. Heck yeah. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, guys. Oh, that was so fun. Alex was a true Delilite. Del okay. Delilite. 
We got to keep this show moving because it is time to get into our question of the week. Next week on the show is Black Panther Spellbound author Ronald L. Smith. Black Panther Spellbound was really great. Hope everybody Mm -hmm. checks that book out. We'll talk more about it next week. And so it is time for our question of the week. Lorraine, what do we got? So in the book, you'll find that Black Panther has kind of an exchange program where he comes over to the United States. So if you got to swap places with him, what would you do if you could live in Wakanda for a day? Obviously, I'd be like, are there royal palace tours? And then I would just be like, I got to get to a tech store. You know, I got to I got to buy like a new cell phone. I would be like, Shopping. can I have some Kamoyo beads? Also, can you point me to where you have your incredible health care so I can get proper health care and help for whatever is going on with this body of mine? <laughs> yeah, no, honestly, honestly, like what wouldn't be better? Yeah. I bet also the food is great. Oh, man, it's so good. And it's probably all mostly vegetarian and it's like so incredible i have to say black panther spellbound that book made me so hungry but that is neither here nor there me too (laughs) you can tweet your answers using the hashtag this week in marvel you can email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com or you could send us a message on our facebook page at facebook.com slash this week in marvel and of course please let us know if it is quote unquote okay to read here on the show so we can read it like we're about to right now yeah because our question of the week that we asked y'all last week was what was your reaction to the Marvel Studios Moon Knight trailer? Devin Colson at Devin Colson tweeted two words, freaking hyped. Oscar Isaac is going to eat this role up. Devin, those are more than two words, but I will accept <laughs> all of them. B Bond, which is a great name. I just like to say it. B Bond uh, at Postkeys says, freaked out so much. Everything looks incredible and I can't wait for the show. It's going to be amazing. Heart. Mm-hmm. Alexander28 at always28 Halo says, pure organized chaos. We love to see it. <laughs> I mean, it is chaotic. In fact, they they say chaos in the trailer. Oh, yeah. Lucy at Fleetwood Fatty tweeted, literally from the two minute trailer, it looks like it could be the best Disney plus Marvel Studios original series. Looks very intense and dark, which will be a change to normal Marvel content. Yeah. Owen Senui at Osenui says, was blown away by the cinematography, the tone and the small glimpse of acting exhibited by Oscar Isaac. The Khonshu tease was incredible. Bring the madness on. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man, there's an issue of Moon Knight coming up where Khonshu goes to battle. Everybody should be reading the Moon Knight comic right now. Also, I have to say, if you watched the trailer on your phone, please go watch it on a big screen. That's all. Thank you. Yeah. YouTube makes apps for a lot of TVs. If you've got like a Chromecast or something, Mm -hmm. there's ways to watch it on a TV. Do it. You'll be rewarded. Yes. Jared at Wood 111 at Jared Wood 111. This Marvel Studios Moon Knight trailer was absolute fire. March 30th, let's go. <laughs> and we got an email in here from that one Marvel guy who said, I was just scrolling through the Marvel YouTube page and then saw the trailer pop up and I blew up with excitement. They cast Oscar Isaac and he was great in Dune and Star Wars, The Force Awakens and more. I can't wait for the show to come out and I hope you get an interview with him. Yeah, we do too. Oscar. <laughs> Come on over. We'll be waiting. 
Next up, we got a Facebook message from Damon Bozer who said, I really enjoyed the new Marvel Studios Moon Knight trailer. Very nice setup, not just for the villain, but for Mark also having to deal with his other personalities and the decision to have his costume appear out of thin air and wrap around him like a mummy is way better than him just making the suit like in the comics. It looks so cool. I can't. Yeah. We just got to see more. I think that's the biggest takeaway. We need to see more. All right, we got an email in here from Heather G. And Heather says, I am writing to you with perhaps the best problem to have, and I need your help. My eight-year-old daughter has picked up my love for comic reading and wants to devour every comic on Marvel Unlimited. I am here for all of it. There are some characters that she knows are safe and don't require permission. Miles Morales, Kamala Khan, Doreen Green, and Lockjaw, but some that are off-limits. Deadpool, Moon Knight, and others that I have to read first. Here's the problem. Her list is too long. There aren't enough hours in the day for me to get in and read each book. I haven't been able to find a comic grade level chart online. She reads well above her grade level. Mom brag would say middle school, but state test scores say high school. So she devours the books quickly and I can't keep up. Can you please point me in the right direction? So I love this email, especially because it's something I'm going to have to think about as time goes on of what age is appropriate for certain books and different things. So... To the question of a comic grade level chart, mm -hmm. in the previews catalog, so in the catalog that we release every month that shows what books are coming out in three months' time, we do have a Marvel rating scale. And these the ratings are also printed on our current comics. So there's an all-ages rating, mm -hmm. which is appropriate for readers of all ages. There's T, appropriate for ages 9 and up. T is weird for being 9 and up. What is that? T doesn't... Spell nine, but hey, we're it Marvel. Be... We we have weird numbering systems anyway. So I guess preteen. I don't know. So T is for appropriate for ages nine and up. T plus is teens and up. Appropriate for most readers twelve and up. Parents are advised they may want to read before or with younger children. Then there's parental advisory, similar to Teen Plus, but featuring more mature themes or more graphic imagery, recommended for teen and adult readers. And then there's the Max rating, which is explicit content. Basically, Max titles are not to be sold in the newsstand. They will not be marketed to younger readers. They are not for the kiddies. So that's a little bit. That said, that's a wide range, right? So appropriate for 9 and up is, is pretty wide. Well, and you know something you might also consider that I don't think a lot of people think about? Obviously, I think a lot of kids want to read newer stuff, but I also think like our comics from like 1960 to 1970 are pretty pure. You know, if you want to go back and read some classic stories, some like classic Spider-Man, the subject matter tends to be fairly tame, although of course it also has like a 1960s worldview, which is not always perfect, but it is an easy place to start with comics. I totally agree. I also think that there's the Marvel Age and the Marvel Adventures lines that are in Marvel Unlimited, which are full all ages. And there's dozens and dozens, if not a, you know more than 100 books in those worlds. So those would be helpful. Yeah, the, the rating scale, hopefully that helps all ages. Definitely, I think your kiddo can dive right into that. The T rating probably most of that is going to be okay for her, especially as she's reading at a, a higher level anyway. But when you start to see T+, that's when you might want to think about it. Like, I, I think I looked at a copy of Devil's Reign, the event series that we were talking mm -hmm. about earlier. That is rated T+, but there's some intense moments in that and some things that 
if you are a more discerning parent, you may want to read that first. Hopefully this was helpful for you. This episode of This Week in Marvel is produced by Zachary Goldberg, Isabel Robertson, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Panagos. Our senior manager of audio production and development is Brad Barton. And Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And special thanks to Skrull's Skillets, the food that transforms in your mouth. That's not beef. Skrull, it's what's for dinner. I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. This is Marvel. Your universe. Ah, it's me, the mighty Sauron.